Welcome to the Guardians of the Game podcast, presented by the National Association of Basketball Coaches, where we go one-on-one with the top minds in college basketball to learn what makes a coach a coach. He pushed us as hard as he possibly could. Those people are contributing in many ways. They've contributed to us, and it's up to us to pass it on as well. The NABC Guardians of the Game is proudly supported by Wilson, the official basketball of the NCAA. Now, here's your host, Dave Odom. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. We're switching things up a little bit today because we've got two men here whose careers paralleled each other. Both were players in college, one at Penn, the other at Davidson. Both were assistant coaches two really great mentors. Both were head coaches and very successful in their own right. One at Penn one at, and at Rutgers, the other at Davidson and at UVA. Both transitioned into a, the world of administration. Both became athletic directors, both in different times at UVA. And the other one, one of us who uh, were, was also an athletic director at Davidson and finished up his career at East Carolina, ECU. And, uh, and the amazing thing is they were both so well thought of that they were chosen to serve on the NCAA tournament committee and both actually moved into the chair of the NCAA tournament committee, serving eight years each on that committee, which is the highest held in esteemed uh, of all of the NCAA and NABC positions. But the most amazing thing to me is that through all of this, uh, they have remained close and fast friends, and I am pleased to call both of them my friend as well. Uh, welcome into the NABC podcast, Craig Littlepage and Terry Holland. Welcome, guys. Good afternoon, David. Hello. It's good to be here with you, Dave, and of course with Paige. Uh, we've spent a lot of time together over the years, and love it anytime we have an opportunity to spend more. Well, let's uh, let's get started right away. Uh, Paige, tell us a little bit after you were assistant coach and then a head coach, and you transitioned into the world of administration. What were the changes that you had to make uh, from a mental standpoint? And then, you know, as you became an administrator, you saw things differently. I think the biggest difference for me was as a coach, you have direct and daily contact with a group of uh, student athletes and uh, others in the form of team managers and interns, et cetera. And as an administrator, um, I was not going to have the same level of contact and interaction with the young people and wouldn't have as significant a role in their personal and athletics development as I would have had uh, as a, as an assistant or head basketball coach. And that was a big change for me because I had spent all of my time after uh, graduating from college as an assistant and as a head coach and uh, got used to the daily contact with the student athletes, uh, the uh, contact with prospective student athletes. So the world of administration was much different from that standpoint. Terry, um, as you transitioned to becoming an AD um, and knowing 
your background, I mean, you were very much into the game of basketball, teaching the game of basketball. And then when you transitioned off the court into uh, the world of athletic directorships, um, how uh, was it difficult to keep yourself from micromanaging the basketball coach that was under you at that time? Or did you have regular meetings with them and talk about the game, talk about the way uh, their team was progressing, that type of thing? Well, we, we certainly had the opportunity to visit quite a bit uh, with all the coaches, uh, no matter what those sports happened to be at the time that were maybe needing some help or TLC from the athletic director or someone off the staff. But I think uh, it, it worked out extremely well. I was going back to my alma mater, Davidson, from uh, the University of Virginia, and he just felt it was time to go ahead and make that move and, and to see what would happen from there. So I spent five years as the athletic director at Davidson, uh, work with some great people, of course, and, and that's what it's all about. It's the people who make these things uh, work, and it's the people who uh, obviously love what they do. And uh, we've got some good ones, and we need to keep finding them and making sure we always have them because I do think that's going to become a bigger and bigger part of what uh, folks have to deal with in athletics today. Um for the, this this particular topic is for both of you. Let's uh, let Craig answer this uh, first. What was the most difficult part of leaving the coaching sideline and the court itself, teaching the game, and then going into administration? Well, I think also uh, going back to the uh, uh, previous uh, question, uh, you know, just the uh, idea of not having as much contact uh, from a basketball standpoint with the, uh, the athletes on an everyday basis. And uh, then uh, knowing that I was going to have as an administrator an expanded role that would take me from dealing with 15 players on a basketball team to dealing with uh, maybe 20 different sports with uh, as many as 500 athletes in total and having uh, a, a different opportunity as an athletics director to get to know a, a lot more student athletes, not as uh, directly and as intimately as one would as the coach of a specific team, but to get to work with uh, not only the student athletes in all those other sports, but also the coaching staffs, both the head coaches uh, and assistant coaches. So I think it, that that was the transition and going from working with three assistant coaches and a head coach and 15 uh, student athletes to working with maybe uh, 15 or so head coaches and uh, 40 or so assistant coaches and uh, 500 uh, student athletes in total across many of those other sports. Terry? Yeah, I think Craig's right on target. Um, obviously, it means a lot to us in terms of how well those um, teams perform and particularly how well the coaching staff interact with their student athletes, and that becomes part of our job as well. So I think uh, Craig nailed it on the head. Um, being, a, being an administrator today uh, does take a great deal of time, but there's a lot of... Uh, good feelings that come out of it if you spend that time correctly and working with the athletes and their coaches. 
Both of you guys were on the NCAA tournament committee for a number of years, and you really understand the process uh, so very well. Both of you, in your, at your own time, served at chairs. Uh, what, what was that like, and has the selection process kind of evolved over the years into what we know, know it is today? Has it become more complicated? Uh, Terry first. No, it's definitely complicated today. <laughs> uh, thank goodness uh, I, I have been out of it for quite some time and can look at it over the, the larger horizon and, and wonder what's happening next. But uh, it's definitely changed. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, and the technology that goes with it uh, has enabled uh, athletic directors and others who are involved in that type of thing to be able to follow the trails and to do a better job of, of not having to nail it every time, but to be able to have constructive conversation with the folks around the table. And that was one of the best things for me because I had never been an athletic director. I went straight into to being an athletic director and also being a member of the, the committee. So I had a learning curve. Uh, back in those days, you didn't have uh, the sophisticated technology we have today. It was uh, man-on-man, and uh, we even had some ladies in there helping us uh, do it as well, and they, they did a great job and made it uh, something that was special, but also uh, a lot of hard work at the time. Craig, how about you? Well, Dave, uh, I, I have such great respect for – Terry and his colleagues that were committee members uh, in that era of the 80s and the 90s uh, for the integrity that they showed in in handling the, uh, the tournament selection and then the tournament itself, but understanding that uh, in, in a selection weekend process, there are Oh, as many as 80, 90 votes that are taken to put the field together. And these folks during the era that Terry was on the committee did so much of this work in terms of manual voting. Uh, that's number one. And then secondly, uh, as he referenced, uh, uh, the technology in terms of being able to track uh, games on a weekly basis uh, not just the scores and the raw uh, statistical stuff, but uh, they didn't have as much technology at their disposal in terms of being able to actually uh, watch the games, watch the teams, and track them over the course of a basketball season. So, I, I, again, I have such great admiration for uh, the, those people that were pioneers and that preceded uh, the time frame that I was on the committee, which was between 2000 and two in 2007, and I just happened to come along at a time that so much of the technology was just uh, at that time being incorporated into the process in terms of using the computer to do the voting, to tabulate the voting, and the immediate access to uh, the uh, the voting that was done, uh, the ability to track teams in uh, more of a side-by-side fashion, that is the ability to, on a computer, uh, put up a team sheet, let's just say, of the University of Oregon and the University, uh, the, the University of Illinois and be able to compare teams from different leagues and uh, maybe compare as many as four or five teams at one time. 
so it, it made the time that I was on the committee much more manageable, and we had a much more efficient use of our time. And uh, I know that the, the use of technology has just continued. The use of uh, statistical data uh, has reached an all-time high in terms of uh, some of the things that the committee has tweaked in terms of the the use of the RPI and other statistical measurements. So I think it continues to get better. Uh, it continues to allow the committee to uh, uh, compare apples and apples and oranges and oranges, maybe not perfectly, but uh, uh, with much more accuracy and precision uh, than at any time in the history. But I, I go back and I look at the time that I spent on the committee, the five years that I was on the committee, as a, uh, the best professional experience that I've ever had outside of the work that I uh, did at the University of Virginia as athletics director. Being on the NCAA men's basketball committee and chairing the committee for one year was truly the most special time that I've had and the development of friendships that have uh, lasted uh, uh, up until this day and I know it will last until uh, many years in the future. Let's think about that a little bit long uh, further. Um, you know, to me, as just a basketball coach, I never served on that committee. Um, is there a fine line? Is there a meeting place somewhere in the middle where the uh, the, the technical part of the game, uh, the RPIs, the home and away schedules, uh, the uh, uh, the the rankings, all of those kind of things are kind of grouped together, and then you've got this thing that others call the eye test. I mean, how do you how do you integrate all of that, and how do you know when you're over maybe too much on the technical side, uh, on the computer side? I mean, the game is still five on five. It's played in a rectangle uh, in a gym full of uh, fanatic people. Terry, I mean, is there a is there a place in there where you, you kind of bring everything together and just say uh, the eye test is maybe going to make this decision for us? Absolutely. I do think that that's still a big part of what we do. But, again, one of the things that, uh, that we haven't discussed is how important the staff that comes in is in helping us get through that, particularly those of us who are just coming in for the first time and, and not knowing exactly how things went and learn it, having to learn it from scratch, but also having people like Tom Jernstedt and others who were terrific in terms of helping us through things and helping us understand why things were done the way they were. Because, again, you've got new members coming in every year who, who somebody has to train and, and help get through it and, and begin to be a positive factor. So I think, again, uh, we ought to give that staff a tremendous, tremendous pat on the back because uh, they do a great, great job. Paige, uh, we're in the uh, the part of college basketball right now, the season, seasonal part of it, where, you know, games uh, is pretty much conference play right now. The games seem to me, at least, and I always thought this was true when I was coaching, they were more intense. Uh, you know, as you get closer to tournament time, they're more intense. Tonight we've got a game in Chapel Hill, as an example, Duke versus North Carolina. Neither one of those teams are maybe as uh, as good as some of the teams uh, in their storied past. Uh, maybe that game is not quite what it 
might be or has been in certain, but it's still important. It's still important. Now, what level of importance do you give to games this time of the year versus uh, maybe in November, uh, early December and January versus now? I mean, do they get more important? Do you kind of forget what happened in those uh, days and and, uh, put all of the importance on these games that are being played now? Well, I do believe that, uh, at least in terms of my experience on the committee, I felt that the games this time of year through the month of February into that first week in March were more important in many ways than games that took place on November 20th and the early part of December. So um, I I, I really do think that uh, college basketball has evolved into a sport that uh, has distinct seasons. Your your preseason when you're playing the – uh, the good and somewhat important games in November and December, uh, the late December, early January games where your conference play has started, that all-important uh, month and a half from uh, uh, late January, early February to the last week of the regular season and then the, the, the postseason. But uh, these games are all important. The NABC is proud to partner with Wilson Sporting Goods. For athletes to perform at their best, they require the best. And for over 100 years, that's what Wilson has delivered. Wilson is not only the best-selling basketball on the market, it is also the official basketball of the NCAA tournament. For more information, visit wilson.com. Guys, uh, there are several hot-button issues right now before college basketball, the NCAA, as they look forward to, uh, to making uh, different rule changes. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but uh, right now there's a transfer proposal on the table that would allow uh, student-athletes across the board uh, to transfer at will and not have to sit out. Uh, where do you guys, and I'd like to hear, hear from both of you on this, uh, Terry, you first. How do you guys uh, uh, stand on on uh, this particular issue, transfer? Well, it's a complicated issue. It's it's something that uh, certainly is going to uh, create a little havoc and maybe a lot of havoc as we try to get into it and find out how it really works. So I'm I'm a bit concerned about that for sure. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, and uh, a lot of things on paper uh, make sense, but a lot of times when you try to execute them, you find yourself in a real mess that's hard to turn around. So hopefully uh, the committee will continue to take its time and, and to make sure that uh, they are finding the things they need to find before they, they take a jump like that particular one. Paige, how do you stand on that? Dave, I I think men's basketball in particular is a little bit different. Uh, uh, We we have uh, looked at the statistics over the last couple years and the increasing number of transfers that seem to uh, happen every year in men's basketball. And it seems strange to me that with this environment where many of us believe there are too many transfers, that we're going to make it even easier for the student athlete 
the transfer. Um, my, my feeling is that you can let the student athletes transfer, but uh, have them sit out, but take away the provision where the school, the original school that the student athlete attended, take away the provision that would allow them to deny uh, permission for them to transfer. That is that uh, the student athlete should be able to get a scholarship right away, practice, do everything, but not play in that year of residency. But uh, let them transfer, uh, let them get a scholarship, let them do whatever they want to do, but they would have to sit out and keep the original school from being able to stand in the way and put impediments in terms of their ability to get a scholarship, et cetera. There's another issue that really is not talked about that much, but as administrators, I know you were aware of it. You know, uh, we, we're always trying to give college basketball the best chance to be seen in the best light. One of the things that I think um, impedes our ability to do that is the basketball calendar itself. Uh, you know, we start playing games uh, like the second week in November. Um, you, you're right in the middle of college football at that time, so not a lot of people are tuned into college basketball. Then we go into December, uh, exams uh, take place uh, across the country at all of these universities, and, and the students, as soon as exams are over, they leave, and in some cases they don't come back until the middle of January or even later. So there's not a you, you know you don't have the student involvement there for about a month or so, and then sometime around the first of February things kind of clear up. Super Bowl is over. We just experienced that, and people now begin to hone in on college basketball. I've heard people. Uh, say we ought to move our college basketball calendar forward uh, so that uh, we're playing our biggest games in, say, the third week in April and all. I know there are television problems with that. We've got the Masters, things like that. Is there any way that we can help college basketball by changing our, our calendar at all? Terry, why don't you start? Well, I, I think what you're talking about makes a lot of sense under certain circumstances, but uh, it's going to take some experimentation and uh, real hard looks in terms of how you figure that and what, what are the good things that would come from it and what are the negatives that would come from uh, that particular aspect of it. So I think it's got a lot of potential. And I think it's something that should be looked at. I personally have liked that over the years, that, that concept of moving the season back and not having, not bumping into other uh, things that are, are big sporting events as well and let basketball sort of have its own area. But, but again, that's going to be a tough one to do because uh, so much of that space has already been eaten up now but a few years ago you probably could have pulled it off but again no one was sure what the result would be for the long term and i think we're still somewhat in that category Paige, you have any ideas on that yeah I, I, there are many of the basketball icons uh, coaching icons who over the years have talked about the benefits of men's basketball being a one semester sport and I think not only would it give a more natural start of the college basketball season where people could focus on 
uh, college basketball and not be as um, uh, diluted in one's intention. But it also has some academic benefits, in my opinion, for uh, the basketball players having it as a one-semester sport. So I don't know all of the uh, uh, related issues other than that uh, the, the TV uh, partners are certainly impacted and uh, have strong feelings about whether it should be as, uh, remain as it is or whether there is the opportunity to look at uh, a shift back in a couple of weeks. But I do uh, at least like the idea of maybe experimenting in some way with a new calendar because the uh, basketball season deserves its uh, own space in terms of a, a much more natural start. And having it as a one-semester sport may be uh, one of the concepts that, that's looked at uh, further. Both you guys came along, and both of you had great mentors to help you, you know, gave you time to develop your skills as a coach, and then later as an administrator, Craig, who was who were who were a couple, two or three of your early mentors, and you know what did they help you understand and develop as uh, you you know played and then became a coach, and then later transitioned into your athletic directorship? Well, I'll, I'll just start with the fact that every one of the people that I was coached by or had an opportunity to coach alongside of uh, were significant in my uh, career, my development, either as a coach or an administrator, Terry Holland included, and I include you on, in that list. But I had an unbelievable experience as a player uh, playing in high school for Paul Westhead, playing for uh, Digger Phelps as a freshman in college, playing for Dick Harder, uh, and Chuck Daly uh, in my varsity years at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, being coached by Roly Massimino as an assistant coach, and he gave me my first opportunity as a uh, college basketball coach right out of college. Uh, Terry Holland gave me a call in 1976 to join his staff at the University of Virginia, and uh, that was a significant opportunity for me to ascend in my career. And... Um, Many administrative uh, uh, leaders, uh, Gene Corrigan, who was the athletics director at the University of Virginia when I arrived in 1976, and he continues to be a great influence not only on me, but so many administrators and coaches and others that are involved with college athletics. I had the great opportunity to work alongside of Jimmy Laranega, Jeff Jones, uh, you, Dave, and you and I were roommates on many of those road trips in the uh, oh, yeah. 89 season. We have many stories that we could tell, but not on uh, this program. Um, and then uh, guys that were members of my staff at the uh, University of Pennsylvania, Tommy Crowley, Scott Beaton, uh, Tom Schneider, Tom Haggerty, and I, I, I could go on and on. But every one of those guys, I think, uh, was an influence on me in terms of integrity, a love for the game, an attention to the development of uh, the young people, and a focus on giving them an opportunity to realize their uh, goals of getting a college education and a degree and playing basketball at the highest levels. Terry, you know, what I'm hearing from uh, Craig is that, you know, mentorship and giving back to the game of college basketball is important. 
How do you stand on that? I, I know you had some great mentors grow, uh, growing up, great coaches that, that helped you and then gave you a, a great opportunity as a coach. Well, you're exactly right. And, of course, it starts at the high school level and sometimes even before that in today's world. But, uh, you know, my high school coach was Jackie Murdoch, who was a very fine player and a, and a great strategist that, at Wake Forest. And I thought I was going to Wake Forest, but here came Lefty Rizal around the corner, and he and my mom hit it off. And all of a sudden I was going to Davidson who had not won a single division one game. And I'm trying to say to my mom, hey, mom, uh, you know, they haven't won a game, not, <laughs> not a single division one game anyway. Why why am I going to Davidson? Because it's the place for you, son. <laughs> and she literally packed me up and sent me off. And, uh, of course, it ended up being a great thing. It was Coach Drizell's first year coaching college basketball. He'd obviously been a great high school coach. But uh, uh, what an experience we had, and it was fantastic. Uh, he, he drove you to the point that at times you hated him, but and that this is true of most coaches uh, at some point, uh, you know. But uh, Coach did that. He pushed us as hard as he possibly could. And amazingly, by the time I was a, a uh, senior, we were competing for – NCAA bids and had a heck of a basketball team. But again, I credit the coaches with that and how much they met. And so I think when Paige is talking about that, it's exactly what he said. You know, those people are contributing in many ways. They've contributed to us, and it's up to us to pass it on as well. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, this has been the fastest 30 minutes I can remember in, in memory. And we appreciate uh, your continued involvement in the college game. Uh, I know that I know it's uh, it's close to your heart. You're going to monitor everything that goes on, and you'll have an effect from time to time on everything that does go on. Um, to our our fans that that listen, we thank you for tuning in to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Craig and Terry, we thank you once again for taking some time to be with us and your insights on the game itself. To learn more about the NABC, you just visit the NABC.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at NABC1927. We'll be back next Monday with another edition of the NABC Guardians of the Game. The NABC Guardians of the Game is proudly supported by Wilson, the official basketball of the NCAA.